Hey everybody, this is Bob Z, the pastor of Joy Christian Fellowship. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. I hope it's a word that will encourage you today. Let's remember in these challenging times we're living that God is still in control and that his love for us endures forever. Amen. God bless. Lord, we thank you for the gift of worship. We thank you that even when we can't have a, a live band on stage, we, we have videos that I believe have an anointing on them. So thank you that we can enter into worship with you here, even through, through video. Did you notice all the songs in our worship set mention the love of God? We started with, who breaks the power of sin and darkness, right? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The king of glory, right? The king above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. And then we sang, Jesus, you're still enough. Keep me within your love. And then my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. And of course... Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. You know, we read about God's love. We sing about his love. We just got done singing about his love. We hear sermons and teachings and listen to podcasts about God's love, but have you ever... Have you ever just felt all alone? And and maybe you were tempted to question God's love during a difficult season of life. Or maybe you were tempted to doubt the love of God when you experience great loss. Because I've been there and I've felt those things. Even though I know different and I know better. Otherwise I couldn't get up here every Sunday and talk about how good God is and how strong his love is. But we just sang, there's no shadow you won't light up. There's, there's no wall you won't, cl- no, there's no mountain you won't climb up. There's no wall you won't kick down. There's, there's no lie you won't tear down coming after me. We sang that. But do we really believe that, especially during when we're going through a difficult time? We couldn't earn it. We don't deserve it. And still he, he gives himself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Aren't you thankful for his love? Now, before anyone reports me to the theology police about that song, because there's been some criticism about that song, but I want to just point out, it's not saying that God is reckless. It's talking about this crazy love he has for us, how that love sometimes doesn't make sense to us how he, he can love us uh, way beyond anything we, we are capable of loving in return. So he's saying that the love is, is kind of reckless because when you think about it, if a shepherd has 100 sheep and one of them wanders off and a shepherd can't find it, he's like, oh, well, I still got 99. You know, one's gone, but I still got 99. Jesus doesn't think that way. He leaves the 99. And he goes after the one who wandered off. So that's kind of reckless in a way. It's kind of risky. But Jesus always cared about the one. Now, make no mistake about it. He wants the nations. 
right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. All the nations. He wants the nations. But he always cared for the one. Think of little Zacchaeus, the wee little man, that, that despised tax collector in the sycamore tree. And Jesus said, oh, little dude, I'm coming to your house tonight. And everyone else went, but that, you're going to his house? He cared for Zacchaeus. He cared for the Samaritan woman at the well when everybody else shunned her. So Jesus cares for the one. And that love is, is kind of risky. It, it's it's kind of reckless. But that's the kind of love he has for every one of us. Hey, I'm glad he left in 99 and came looking for me, Lewis. <laughs> Aren't you thankful he came looking for you? His love chases us down and fights till we're found, and he leaves the 99. Thank you, Jesus. But there are those times. There are those times that we may be tempted to, to doubt his love for us. So, so we're going to talk about Jesus being tempted when he was tempted in the wilderness and, and see what we can learn from this old, old story that will help us live our lives for him today on August the 14th, 2022, okay? A couple of weeks ago, we discussed how God never tempts us. Remember, well it's not on the screen, but there was a, a verse in the book of James in chapter 1 where James tells us, and remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. You hear that? That's James chapter 1. He never tempts anyone else. Never. Okay, so, so God never tempts us, but he allows us to be tested, doesn't he? He allows us to be tested to prove how faithful we are to him or to prove how unfaithful we are to him. And even when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. See, that's, a, that's amazing kind of love. That's, that's risky. That's reckless love. That's that crazy love that Francis Chan wrote about 13, 14 years ago. I can't believe that book's that old. But So God will allow us to be tested, but he, he doesn't tempt us. That's the devil's job. And boy, he's good at it. We know if you read the Bible or you've been in church any length of time, you heard the story of Jesus' baptism. And as soon as Jesus was baptized in that muddy Jordan River, he went into the wilderness for 40 days and he would go head to head, mano y mano, with the evil one himself, Satan. And remember, we said that evil is a spiritual force, but evil is also a person. His name is Satan. When Jesus gave us that model prayer in Matthew, and he said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, some translations say, but some say deliver us from the evil one. And when he was praying in John 17, John 17 should actually be the Lord's Prayer because it's Jesus for the whole chapter. He prays for himself. He prays for the disciples with him. Then he prays for those who would believe, the future believers. That's us. He prayed for us. But his prayer for his disciples was, I, I, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, Right? We're ambassadors for Christ. It wouldn't do much good to serve him if, if, if we just want to get out of this place. Now, the devil would tempt Jesus in the wilderness, but God was testing him. And Jesus would have to pass this test with flying colors and be victorious over the devil if he was going to be the savior of the whole world. So I want us to look at that this morning. The title of this morning's message is Victory in the Wilderness. 
And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. So, Lord, open your word up to us. This is an old story, but it's alive, it's active, and, and we'll make it come alive fresh to us today. Let us hear something or maybe be reminded of something we knew and forgot or, uh, or didn't look at it from that particular viewpoint before. So teach us. Um, we need fresh manna from heaven this morning, Lord, and we thank you for it. Amen. All right. Let's visit the banks of the Jordan River. Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now the first thing we need to notice about this, this scene is that all three persons of the Trinity are present and active. That's kind of unique. God the Father speaks, God the Son is baptized, and God the Holy Spirit descends from heaven like a dove and lands on Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized and comes out of that water, God's voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus hadn't done anything yet. <laughs> no healings, no miracles, no casting out devils. Hadn't done anything. And God was well pleased with him. So it shows us that this relationship wasn't based on performance and good works. It was based on intimacy. And our relationship with God isn't based on performance and good works either. Our relationship with God is based on intimacy. Too often we try to win his approval with our good works, try to earn his love. And it's about a relationship. It's not about our works. Now, we're created for good works, but that's not what saves us, and that's not the what the relationship is based on. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father was declaring something from heaven that I believe every one of us want to hear, and every one of us want to know in our hearts that I am loved by God. I'm his beloved. You're his beloved. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. You're a daughter or a son of God. And also, God is pleased with me. Amen? Isn't that what we want to know? I'm loved by God. I'm a child of God. And God is pleased with me. Yeah, Jeff, even me. <laughs> He's even pleased with me. Let's li not live our lives for how many likes we can get on our look at me, look at me Instagram post or how many friends we have on Facebook. You know, Bobby started a Facebook page. I, I didn't want nothing to do with it at first. And then she got so tired of all the drama and all the bickering going on. She says, you know, that's not helpful for me. And I didn't start a new one. I just decided, well, we got the same name. We almost look alike. So, so I'll just use her Facebook page. So if you see anything posted and it says Bobby Curlsvorich, it's, it's me. It's not her. She's not nearly as sarcastic as I can be, okay? But... I know some of the hipsters have a couple thousand so-called friends, right, on their Facebook page. That's pretty common for young people. Thousands of, of friends. But for us old folks, a couple hundreds, quite a few. And I remember telling Bobby a while back, I said, gee, you know, on your Facebook page, you got like 900 friends. And she says, 900? I only know 50 people. How can that be? I said, don't worry, I know the other 850. But anyway, don't 
live your life for Instagram likes or Facebook friends. Let's live our lives in a way so we too can declare, I am loved by God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God, and God is well pleased with me. Amen? All right. So we jump from Matthew chapter 3 to Matthew chapter 4, but there's really no pause between chapters because it says Jesus gets baptized and is immediately led by God's Spirit into the wilderness. Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? God the Holy Spirit leading God the Son into the wilderness. But that's what happened. Jesus wasn't tricked into walking into it unknowingly. He didn't show up one day and go, oh my gosh, how did I get here? No, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. In fact, in Mark's gospel, it says immediately, right after he was baptized, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. So let's go get Matthew's account of it. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, 2, and 3. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Yeah, no doubt. 40 days and 40 nights with no food. And you wonder, why, why did Matthew mention that? And I think, you know, we, we know we hear God is all man, but he's all God. And we keep thinking, yeah, but Jesus is God's son. That's Jesus. That's not me. No, he was all man. So I think it's a reminder to say, hey, he, he got hungry too. If he cut himself, he bled too. If he stubbed his foot, it hurt. It says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, just three verses earlier, God was declaring, this is my son, right? This is my beloved son. And now the devil has the audacity to try to put doubt in Jesus' mind by saying, if you're the son of God, if. I mean, the first words out of the devil's mouth are questioning Jesus' true identity as God's son. If you are the son of God. And you know what? The devil will will try to put doubt in your mind and in my mind about the true identity of Christ. And he'll try to put doubt in our minds about our true identity of who we are in Christ, if we're in Christ, and I hope you are, and if not, we need to talk about that before you leave. We need to take care of that. But the devil will do that to us too, just like he was questioning Jesus, if you're the son of God. He might say, if, if you're really a daughter of God, would you have done what you did Friday night? If, if you're really a son of God, would you have talked to your wife and kids like that? Hey, if the devil wasn't intimidated by Jesus, he sure ain't afraid of us. And the devil's just waiting, just waiting for the right time. And man, don't you know, his timing is impeccable. He knows when to strike, he knows how to strike, and he knows where to strike. So he's just waiting for the right time to try and tempt Jesus. And his first temptation was a, was a physical temptation about a natural need and hunger for food. But now keep this in mind. One minute, Jesus is being baptized. The next minute, Jesus is in the wilderness. One minute, Jesus is enjoying the fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The next minute, he's all alone in the desert. His hair is probably still wet from the baptism because it said it happened immediately. First, Jesus hears the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Next voice he hears is the voice from hell saying, if 
If you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. See, the devil's trying to appeal to Jesus' flesh. Like, come on, Jesus, I know you're hungry. It's been 40 days, man. Make some bread out of these stones if you're the son of God. Now, turning a piece of rock into a fresh bagel isn't a bad thing. Actually, I think that would be pretty cool. But the reason behind making those stones into bread would, would have been a bad thing. The devil wasn't interested in helping Jesus overcome his hunger. He was trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut, right? Listen, he was tempting, trying to tempt Jesus into solving his immediate problem at the expense of his long-range purpose. And the devil will tempt us to do the same thing. He'll tempt us to seek the temporary pleasure and the comfort at the expense of obedience and discipline and self-control for the much greater gain, for the much greater purpose God has for every one of us, right? So he's probably saying, come on, Jesus. If you're really the son of God, turn these stones into some nice, fresh, baked bread. Look how Jesus responds, verse 4. But he answered and said, it is written. Good call, Jesus, quoting the word. It is written. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not some words, not most words, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Good one, Jesus. The score on Fight Island after one round is Jesus 1, devil 0. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, which would be the highest point in the city, and said to him, if, if you're the son of God, again, Satan's questioning Jesus' true identity. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Look how slick the devil is. Now, he's quoting scripture, right? Let me tell you, the devil knows God's word better than we do. He doesn't obey it, but he knows it. Some of us know it, and some of us don't obey it. But he knows it better than we do. That's why we say get into the word so the word gets into you. Look what the devil says in the next verse. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Nice try, Satan. Quoting some scripture from Psalm 91 about how God will protect us with his angels trying to appeal to Jesus' emotional need. Now, he's out in the desert. He may be feeling a little forsaken. He may be questioning whether God loves him enough to protect him. And, you know, Satan will do the same to us. He'll tempt us into questioning whether God loves us enough to really protect us too. And Jesus says to the devil, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan's thinking, man, this guy's pretty good. Score after two rounds, Jesus two, devil still betting zero. All right, devil's thinking third time. Third time's a charm. Here we go. Look at verse 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him. And behold, angels came 
and minister to him. The third temptation was designed to appeal to the desire for power and control. And that desire is still prevalent in our society today. Unfortunately, the desire for power and control is still alive and well in the church today. (laughs) Now, Jesus is called the king of all kings, right? And Satan is trying to tempt Jesus into a shortcut to his kingship, a shortcut to the throne without the cross. Why go through all that suffering and pain, Jesus? Why go through all that ridicule and all that torture? You can be the king of all the kingdoms of the world right now if you'll just fall down and worship me. And Jesus tells the evil one, get, get away with you, beat it. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So the final score of the fight is three, Jesus, zero, devil. And the devil leaves and angels come to take care of Jesus. Some translations say when the devil finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. See, he wasn't done. The devil was defeated in the wilderness, but it wasn't going to be the last time he'd encounter Jesus. Throughout his ministry, Jesus would confront Satan in various forms. Remember the time he was telling his disciples about what was coming, and he said, I, I, we got to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be handed over to evil men, wicked men. Those are the church leaders, by the way, <laughs> wicked men. And I'm going to be put to death. Peter jumps up, no way, boss, you know, no, 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 that ain't going to happen. I ain't going to let that happen to you. I got your back. Thinking Jesus, I said, oh, thank you, Peter. I don't know what I was going to do before you stepped up. He said, get behind me, Satan. Peter's probably thinking, what? Andrew, did he just call me Satan? He said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Looking for the easy way out. And a lot of times we're looking for the easy way out because we're not thinking in God's viewpoint. We're thinking of our own. So Jesus had to deal with Satan on more than just one occasion. And I think it reminds us, don't make the mistake of thinking this temptation stuff of the devil is just a one and done deal. We beat him, he's gone. No. We need to be constantly on guard against his attacks because the evil one is relentless. That's why when Jesus was in the garden and his sleepyhead disciples nodded off, he'd say, hey, keep watching, pray so you don't give in to temptation. And that's for us too. Keep watch and pray so you don't give in to that temptation. Stay alert, be sober-minded and pray so you don't give in. You know, we have learned some really valuable life lessons about spiritual warfare from this encounter Jesus has with the devil in the wilderness. Because Jesus' life, listen, his life on earth is proof that just because we have the approval of heaven, and if you're a believer in Christ, you've got the approval of heaven, but just because we have the approval of heaven, it doesn't mean we're exempt from the attack of the enemy, does it? I think that's worth repeating. Just because we have the approval of heaven, and we do, it doesn't mean we're exempt from the attack of the evil one. Jesus' life on earth is proof of that. So if you're feeling under attack, maybe right now, this morning, maybe this whole week has been just nothing but an onslaught of the devil. 
If it feels like the devil's been working overtime on you, it could be because he knows God is pleased with you. And God is always working, whether we see it or know it or not. He's always working. And it could be the devil knows God is pleased with you, and you're really close to a breakthrough. You're really close to a prayer being answered, and the devil wants to screw that up any way he can. Now, it could be because we're just making stupid choices and we know better, but it could be you're under attack because the devil knows God is pleased with you, and he hates that. He absolutely hates that. Remember what we want to hear and what we want to know in our hearts. I'm loved by God. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God, and God is pleased with me. The devil hates that. Look at this quote. I heard this on, on TV a couple of years ago, I think, but it always stuck with me. It's the smile from heaven that attracts the scowl from hell. Has anyone ever heard that one before? It's the smile from heaven that attracts the scowl from hell. Boy, that's good. I wish I could tell you I thought of that one, but I, I don't. I didn't. I borrowed it. I think it's Robert Maydew or someone, uh, but it's a good one. It's the smile from heaven that attracts the scowl from hell. See, the devil is so jealous of us. He hates us because he knows we've received something for free that he couldn't take by force. We've received the kingdom of heaven for free, and he couldn't take it by force. So let's remember a few things. The same spirit that descended from heaven and landed on Jesus at his baptism is the same spirit that led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Same spirit. Sometimes God's spirit will lead us. And we're thinking, are you sure, God? Are you sure? You've got to be careful with that. You really need to know the voice of God when it comes to these things. But God will test us. He will test us. But he never tempts us. That's Satan's job. And like I said, he's really, really good at it. And Satan's just waiting. Waiting in the wilderness for Jesus to show up. Waiting and watching. And here comes Jesus, hair still wet from the Jordan River. Waiting and watching. He knew better than to try to attack him on day one. So five days go by, just waiting, watching. Ten days go by, devil's still waiting, still watching. Fifteen days go by, twenty days go by. Devil noticed Jesus starting to slow down, starting to look a little weary, probably hungry, still waiting, still watching. 25 days go by, then 30 days go by. Devil might be thinking, wow, 30 days. Maybe this guy really is the son of God. Now, there's no maybe about it. Satan knew exactly who Jesus was. In fact, in a recent survey, 10 out of 10 demons agree Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> they know exactly who he is. It, it's people who aren't so sure, but the de demons know exactly who he is. 35 days go by. Jesus really looking weak. 36 days, 37, 38, 39, 40 days, no food for 40 days. The devil watched and waited 40 days, and here he comes. He's saying, man, you, you, you really look bad. You don't really look well at all. You really look hungry. You know, if, if, if you're really the son of God, then uh, what are you doing here? Things aren't looking so good for you, Jesus. Why are you here? And you got nobody to talk to except me. 
So if you're really the son of God, you know, why don't you use that power I've heard you have and turn some of these rocks into some fresh baked bread? Now, if it was me, I probably would have not turned a rock into a bread. I probably would have created a whole bakery. You say, there, what do you think of that? But Jesus just stood there and took that temptation. But could you imagine how, how good that would smell? Fresh baked bread after 40 days of nothing to eat. We have a bread machine, and Bobby throws the flour and all the stuff in it at night. We go to bed, wake up. House smells like fresh baked bread. Man, that's a good smell. I think the only thing that could smell better is bacon frying. But, but the bread, Jesus might be thinking, boy, that would be good. That would be good. Jesus is all alone. He's tired. He's very hungry, very vulnerable. Just a perfect time for the devil to attack. Now, he was all God, but remember, he was all man, and the all man Jesus was tired, and he was hungry. The word even says he was hungry. And the devil wanted to destroy God's purpose and plan for Jesus. And the devil wants to destroy God's plan and purpose for us, too. He wants to destroy everything good that God has planned for every one of us. But the Bible says no weapon formed against us shall prosper, right? The Bible says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The Bible says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against him. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against the enemy. And Jesus' work on the cross was that standard against the enemy that cannot be overcome. That's the standard he rose up to cross. Jesus went from being baptized to immediately going into the wilderness to be tempted. From the water to the wilderness. That's where his challenge was. And the challenge for all of us is, how are we going to handle the temptation when we find ourselves in our wilderness? And we're weary. And we're hungry. And we're tired. And we're vulnerable. That's when the devil really tees off on me, when I'm just weary and tired and my mind just starts going in places it, it shouldn't go when I'm just worn out. And he knows that. And maybe you're in a wilderness right now. Tomorrow's Monday. Maybe you're going back into the wilderness tomorrow morning. So how do we win the battle in our wilderness? The evil one wanted to stop Jesus before he ever got started. And evil one wants to stop us before we ever get started, especially if we're doing something for God's glory and not our own. And when we're doing that, we've got to expect some pushback from the enemy, resistance. There's a spiritual battle going on all the time that if we could see with our physical eyes, it would terrify us. And I know not all wildernesses are created equal because what tempts you might not tempt me. What tempts me might not bother you. But what did Jesus say when the devil tried to tempt him? It is written, right? It is written, the word of God. That's our weapon, along with prayer and worship, right? Our weapon is a melody. The sword of the spirit, it's the word of God. That's why we need to get into the word so the word gets into us. It is written. It's not tweeted. It is written. 
And Jesus himself, he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He said that in John 8, verse 32. But notice he doesn't just say the truth will set you free. He says, you will know the truth. You will know the truth. And then he says, and the truth will set you free. So listen, the only truth that will set us free is the truth that we know, right? That makes sense. That's what God's word tells us. That's what Jesus says, not Bob. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. Jesus was obedient in the wilderness. He was disciplined in the wilderness. He, he had self-control in the wilderness. And he won the victory over the devil in the wilderness through obedience, through discipline, and through self-control. And that's what we need to win our battles. Obedience to the word. Discipline. Self-control. See, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Jesus already won the victory for us on the cross. And when he defeated the evil one in the wilderness, angels came and ministered to him. Angels were sent to help Jesus. How about that? Well, what about us? What about us here at Joy? Where does our help come from? Dr. Phil, Oprah, the latest hip celebrity pastor? I hope not. Do we, do we think we can fight our battles and in our own strengths with our own wisdom and our own abilities? Yeah, I hope not because that's just disappointment and failure waiting to happen. But seriously, where does our help come from? It's not on the screen, but in Psalm 121, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. And he asked a question, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. You hear that? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I hope your help comes from the Lord, too, and you're not trying to fight these battles in your own strength and in your own knowledge. Because his name is victory in the wilderness. His name is victory on the cross. His name is victory over death, hell, and the grave. His name is victory in the empty tomb. His name is Redeemer, Deliverer, Provider, Healer, and Savior. His name is Jesus, and his victory is our victory, too. Amen? Let's learn this battle strategy from him, okay? It is written. It is written. It's all in there. It is written. Remember, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. His victory in our victory, because... His victory is our victory, too, yeah? Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to stand. We'll have a closing prayer. Have some ministry time if anyone wants prayer for anything. If you, if you have to go, God bless you. Let's remember, Shoes for Orphan Souls. We've got two more weeks to do that. Come back next Sunday. Bring somebody with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can look in your word. And just by this example of Jesus being tempted by the devil, um, and he used the word. He came back with the word. It is written. It is written. It is written. Let that be a, a, a clue for us. Let that be uh, wisdom and guidance for us. Not to try to go mano a mano in our own strength. There's a lot of spiritual darkness in the world, Lord. But, but we believe that we, even in this school, we believe that we fill it with worship. We fill it with praise. That it drives out the enemy. It drives out the darkness. Light and dark can't exist in the same place at the same time. 
Remember, darkness isn't the opposite of light. It's the absence of light. Because when light comes, darkness has no choice. It's got to leave. So we pray against the darkness that hovers over our lives, over our families, over, uh, over our nation. And we just pray for that light to come, that you'll light up all the dark spots, Lord, as the song sang. Uh, so thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that it's alive, it's well, it's, 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 it's life applicable today. When we walk out these doors, we can apply the truth of this to tonight, tomorrow, the rest of this week. Lord, encourage us where we're discouraged. Give us strength where we're weak, for it is written. Oh, let's hang on to that, that it is written. Those were your words. If you used the word to come against the enemy, we'd be fools not to. So bless us because we, 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 we rage on. The ba- the, the, we win. The battle rages. But we know we're victorious in you. We're more than conquerors through you. So, Lord, let us have a revelation of that. Let us understand that, not give in to fear and doubt and unbelief, but to recognize even when we don't see it, even when we don't hear it, that all your ways for us are good. You haven't left us yet. Thank you. We've seen you do it before, and we're asking you to do it again. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.